Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris, how you doing? I'm so happy right now. How are you, Rachel? Oh, I'm happy too. Always happy to do uh, some AAC talk with my favorite co-host. So a friend of mine invited me to come on to a, like a guest video conference with her. She was a guest speaker at a local uh, university and she was talking to a bunch of speech therapists and she said, Hey, Chris, why don't you come on? And that person was you. You asked me to come on to. I was like, who is this person? <laughs> oh, I was like, this sounds clear. So let's talk about it. Who, um. How did that all happen? You So you were a guest speaker at a university. I was. And um, someone who listened to the podcast reached out and we actually went to graduate school. I think she was a year younger than me, maybe. Um, but she, her, nevertheless, her and I went to the same graduate program and she said she was a big fan of the podcast and my work. And she would love for me to talk with her AAC class because she was teaching an AAC class in Pennsylvania. Um, I believe it was Bloomsburg University. But um, yeah, so I, of course, was preparing and 10 minutes before I was going to hop on, you text me about, you know, when we were recording next. And I thought, Ooh, this could be really great surprise at the end of my talk, just having Chris Bouguet hop on as like a surprise guest. So you were nice enough to hop on, even though it was like pretty late East coast time. Um, and yeah, we had fun shaping the young AAC minds of America. Yes, yes, that was great. So I am going to be doing the same thing. You remember uh, Megan Betts? She was, uh, we had done an interview with her in the past. Uh, she is also teaching a class on AAC, and that's happening, you know, in a couple of days. I know you can't be there because you're going to be traveling in Nepal, or otherwise, I would invite you to do the same thing. Jump in on the end and, and say, surprise, here's Rachel. But alas, you'll be in uh, a foreign country. Yeah, I'll be uh, levitating in the mountains of <laughs> Nepal. Um, but what's interesting, actually, is that I've been we've been contacted by a lot of listeners who say they're teaching graduate school classes on AAC, and they actually have their classes listen to our podcast episodes as part of the curriculum. So how cool is that? That you know, one, we're living in an age where for your grad school class you have to listen to a podcast, um, and two, that people are thinking about our podcast as a way to disseminate information about AAC. Well, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know I've been using podcasts in, at universities for a long time. I know a bunch of other professors that do the same thing. And it really gets to the heart that uh, education has changed. It's not about reading everything out of a textbook. To, you know, I mean, I, obviously, I like textbooks. I've written two books, you know. Uh, I was going to uh, say, is, is the guy who's written textbooks hating on textbooks right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it, that's just one modality, right? And for all the people that don't like textbooks or have trouble reading them or consuming information that way uh, or absorbing information or processing that way, well, now you have multiple modalities, which is really at the heart of universal design for learning is that not everyone has to learn in the exact same way. You can design your instruction in a way where People can listen to podcasts, they can watch YouTube videos, they can read books, you know, they can read blogs, they can play virtual reality games, heck, if they wanted to, to, to learn content that way. And I just think that's a wonderful thing. I love it. And I love that you're talking about how we learn best. I want to segue into this new app that I found. Chris, have you ever heard of Symbol It? Have you heard oh, of this? This is the one that just went for up for free for a few days? Well, well, what's interesting is that I think that 
it, it made a lot of buzz in the Facebook groups because somebody posted that it was free for AEC Awareness Month. But then I think she revised the post to say, actually, I think it was always free. <laughs> but you know what? I think it was great because I was like, ooh, a free app? I'm downloading this. Um, and it's really cool. Have you seen it, Chris? Have you actually downloaded so it? I have downloaded it, but I have not had a chance to play with it yet. Okay, super cool. I'm going to show it to you. So there's this blank screen. But when you hold this button... There's like a blue dot at the bottom, right? Yes. So essentially what happens is you speak into the phone and it creates symbols. So it's a visual representation of the language. I love talking with tech. Ooh, look, Chris. Oh, look at that. Oh, wait, I, I kept hitting it. I said, I love talking <laughs> with tech. I love talking with tech, let Chris. <laughs> so anyway, what an amazing tool, which... I feel like this technology can be used in so many different ways. First of all, the one thing that comes to mind is I constantly am picking up students' devices and I'm seeing commands programmed into them, like put away or clean up, for example. Or sit down. Sit down. Um, you know, all these commands. And my first question is, does your child really like to clean up? <laughs> does your child really like to sit down? and tell other people to sit down because we really need to be thinking through the lens of this is a student's voice. And if a student want to want to say those words, we don't need to put them on the device. Not, especially not in the initial stages of language, but we really need to ask ourselves our, that question every single time we're programming a device. And I understand this comes from a clinician's good intention to help support visually these types of directives, right? We want to say sit down to a child and we think, oh, we'll put it on the device as a way to show them how to sit down. Um, but the problem with this is it becomes work. It becomes these things that kids don't really like doing and all of a sudden now it's on their device and all of a sudden the device isn't something that gets them, you know, all the things that they could have ever wanted and hoped for. Instead, it starts becoming work. And anytime things become work, kids are less interested in it. So we really need to make sure that we maintain a high level of buy-in with the device um, and excitement around it. Um, and, I don't, and I see this tool, this new app, being a great way to support language visually instead of putting it on the device for a child. Um, so we can say things like sit down into this awesome app called Symbolit, and we can show the language um, without it impeding the, you know, the device's purpose and function, which should be to give a child access to what they would want to say. That's a great use for this device. We have been doing a lot of trainings, as you know, and this comes up quite a bit about how often do you use commands uh, when you're modeling on a student's device. And we always tend to go, you know, lean away from that and use other supports uh, like a picture symbol, like first then, like, uh, sorry, like a schedule board, some, some other strategy. And so why not use the Symbolit app in that same capacity, right? In this way, it's still a visual representation of what you want the student to do. Uh, now, here's a question. It uses PCS symbols. Is that right? Like, so like the board maker symbols? It does, but it also has the capacity for other symbol sets. So let's see. It has lamp words for life and unity in addition to PCS symbols. So my question is, when are they going to get all the symbol sets? Because I would love to be able to support all my learners in their specific symbol sets. Yeah, maybe we should, that would be awesome. Maybe we should reach out to the company and say, thoughts on this? <laughs> maybe they're listening right now. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, but it's um, definitely an amazing app that I would recommend you guys downloading and trying out. 
Do you know, because uh, again, I have not played with it. I downloaded it, but I haven't really tinkered with it yet. Um, how does it handle words like Chris when it said my name? Can you add in, you know, pictures or, or symbols? Do you know? I mean, it's free, so it might not have all those that sort of bells and whistles. No, so it just has the text. I'm showing, you guys can't see this right now, but I'm holding my phone up to the screen so Chris can see it. Um, so for word that doesn't have symbols attached to, it looks like it just has the label. It just has the word. That's a great little tool, the Speak It app. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. I'm going to start exploring how I could use it during my therapy. And, um, you know, I, even as something as simple as a whiteboard, if I'm working with a student, especially a student with autism who's a visual learner, I'm constantly trying to provide visual support to help a student learn language. And so this is just nice because instead of having to fumble through, you know, visual cards on a ring that have, you know, directives or following directions on them, um, I can just speak and it just, it appears. Um, how cool is technology that it can do that? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It makes it a lot easier too. Yeah. And I, I wonder how we can start incorporating technology like this with the speech generating apps. I feel like that would be a really cool way to, you know, search for words in a really fast way. You know, I, I just wonder how we can utilize speech text. to text, speech yeah. to symbol really now. No. Um, so anyway, I wonder how we can use speech to text or speech to symbol, I guess, um, to make things quicker, right? Because part of the problem is like in real time, you need things to happen fast. And so that's what I love about this. You just hit a button and start talking and there's nothing more quick than that. And it's free. So the price is right. You can give it to all the parents and they can do it. And it's a quick strategy they could use. Uh, they're already using their phone. It's just flicking on an app and pressing that one little button. And now you got the symbols, symbolated support. Yeah. And so thank you to, I don't know who exactly posted that in um, the Facebook group, but I saw it. I was weary eyed. It was like 12 at night. And I was like, uh, and then I was like, Ooh, free AAC app. And so I, of course, downloaded it right away. Um, but I just love these Facebook groups because it's so great that we can share resources so quickly. Um, you know, and it's just awesome that we have that, you know, network of people who are interested in the same types of new technologies as us. I could not agree more. I totally love the Facebook groups. You know, which Facebook group I love the most? Talking with tech. That's right. Our Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we love our Facebook group. If you haven't checked out our Facebook group, please head on over there um, and, and just join the group. And there's lots of conversations happening. Uh, in fact, previous episodes have featured people who have participated in the Facebook group and then have become interviews. Now, that is a great Facebook group. We do love that one. But there's another one too, right, Rachel? Yep. So AAC for the SLP, I'm sure all of our listeners have heard of and know about this Facebook group. Um, I think they just had 20,000, was it 20,000 members or 25,000? Do you know, wow. Chris? No, I don't they, know, but whew. So they had a giveaway uh, as a way to celebrate how many people have joined that group. And one of the things that our podcast gave away was a guest star on Talking With Tech. And so today's interview with Amanda Sheriff uh, was just that. She was our lucky winner. And I have to say, it doesn't surprise me at all that we have somebody who, I'll put in air quotes, won a contest who comes on and has amazing strategies to share. I like was blown away with her knowledge and expertise in AAC. All the strategies she shared were spot on. And 
I was so excited. Like this was, you know, meant to be because you need to share all these amazing resources with our listeners. So I'm just so excited about how the interview turned out. I know she was amazing. Amanda was amazing. We um, we had some scheduling snafus, and so Amanda was uh, really flexible. Uh, and eventually, we were able to get on together at the same time because it's often difficult because of the time zone differences for you and I to record interviews at the same time. But uh, this one we did. So this is our interview with Amanda Sheriff. Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Madel. How's it going, Rachel? It's going good, Chris. Always happy to see your smiling face. Hey, Rachel, I hear there's a new sheriff in town. There is. It's true. Her name's Amanda Sheriff. How's it going, Amanda? <laughs> Hi, how are you? I've never heard that joke before, ever. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. I, I'm here all day, Amanda. It's yeah, true. I'm he, ready for it. <laughs> the dad jokes never stop flowing with Chris Bouguet. <laughs> So I'm really excited to have Amanda here. So there was a really fun giveaway, I guess we'll call it, in AAC for the SLP. And I guess they got to 25,000 members. And so they reached out to a lot of organizations about donating something to this giveaway. And we said, sure, we can have somebody guest star on Talking With Tech. And Amanda, you were the lucky winner. I feel very lucky, yes. <laughs> so just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what kinds of populations you work with, how you got interested in AAC. I'm really excited to hear your story. Yeah, sure. So I um, am based in Boston, but I work in um, Burlington, Massachusetts, which is a little bit north of here. Um, and I work for Lab Collaborative. Um, which is a collaborative of districts that we have classrooms in um, for more intense needs across different um, elementary, middle school, high school. Um, and I'm primarily in the elementary program. Um, and I work in the multiple handicap program with students with complex communication needs. And then I also work in the social emotional program, um, which keeps me on my toes every single day. Um, but I absolutely love it. Um, this year, I stepped into a new role. I'm also the department head of the speech department. So now I get to go to all of our programs, which is really cool. Um, but AAC kind of just, just started for me. I just always kind of had an interest in it. And so I've just kept running with it, which has been great. Well, congratulations on the program. And just to make a connection here, so my uh, wife and my in-laws still live in Georgia. Well, the in-laws live there. My wife lives here in Virginia. Yeah. Um, but the in-laws lives in, in Georgetown, Massachusetts, which is yeah. not that far from Burlington. Absolutely. Yeah, we have a couple of employees who live in Georgetown. <laughs> And um, I'm going to be coming up to Massachusetts soon for the MassQ conference. I'm going to be doing a guest presentation there. A couple oh, of presentations. Amazing. So, yeah. So, cool. And congratulations on the um, on the promotion. That's awesome. Oh, thank That's you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And I'm so sorry about your football team. Oh, yes. They're <laughs> awful. They're terrible. They're terrible. I'll disclaimer that I'm originally from New York, so I can't say that I've been raised as a Patriots fan my whole life. <laughs> Wait, where, where in New York? I'm from Long Island, um, so I grew up in Port Jefferson and uh, went to Iona College in Westchester County, New York, and then came up to Boston to go to Northeastern University. Cool. Now, yeah. so before we dive into the AAC stuff, you said you're, you work with the social-emotional... Yep. Yeah. So I work with um, students who present with social emotional needs. Um, so typically they require a lot of behavior management supports, um, but primarily they're presenting with some social language deficits. So we're working a lot on like social skills groups. We're using a lot of Michelle Garcia winners type of programming, um, a lot of zones of regulation, 
a lot of work with our occupational therapist. Um, so that's the other half of my job. Amanda, let's dig in there for a little bit yeah. because there might be people who have not heard of those, like the zones of regulation. And can sure. you describe those a little bit more in detail? Yeah, so the zones are a program that kind of look at color and emotion. So we have the blue zone where you're kind of feeling tired and sad or sick. You have your green zone, which we refer to as ready to learn. You're ready to kind of access your day. Yellow zone kind of heightens your emotions. So you might be super excited, but you also might be super frustrated. And red is usually considered like a no-go zone for us, at least. Um, it's kind of where you're either super elated and you can't really focus because you're very excited, or you could also be super, super frustrated and you really need to take a break from everybody else. Um, so we are able to use that across our programs and be able to kind of reference when we see students and different zones. And then we also do a lot of explicit teaching of what it means to be in each of these zones and providing a toolbox of strategies. Um, so our students can practice them in their self-contained classroom, but also carry it with them to inclusion. You know what I love about the zones of regulation is that there's no judgment attached to it, mm -hmm. right? I feel like so oftentimes kids feel bad about being mad or they feel bad about being sad. And so it's a really non-judgmental way to talk about our emotions um, according to our bodies, right? Which we also teach that, right? Our body feels excited. It's moving all around, you know? Um, and so it's just an interesting way to frame it, uh, which is one of the reasons that I like the zones of regulation so much. Absolutely. Even as adults in the classrooms, we're talking about the different stages that we're feeling during the day so that our students know that it's okay to be in these different zones and that that doesn't make it wrong. It's just making sure you have the strategies be able to be able to cope with it and get back to that green zone, that ready to learn kind of zone, which is great. Do you have visuals that go along with it? it customized that you've made or you download? Yes, them? we have tons and tons of visuals. So sometimes you'll see um, our staff with it like on a, a lanyard so that they can reference it quickly. You'll see it on our students' desks. Um, you'll see it hanging in the hallways. We have what we call like a pod where our classrooms are located in. Um, so we have it in the speech area, but also the OT area. And then we have major like thermometer style zones that are hanging in our classroom so students can kind of move either um, a clothespin or their picture of themselves or just their name to kind of say what zone they're in. Um, in my multiple handicap program, actually, our inclusion class just started it. And so now they can put their name card in a colored chart where they uh, like a pocket chart and they can put their name in it um, to be able to kind of identify where they end when they first come into the door at the beginning of the day, but also at the end of the day. And we do kind of check-in points, which is great too. I'm curious, Amanda, do your visuals look linear or where you like have like, like you said, the, um, the, the clip or I've seen sometimes there's been a, like a bead on a, yeah. uh, on like, you can slide up and down yeah. um, or is it more circular where you're like a dial and you can move it around like a brad in the middle or both like you depends or all of them <laughs> yeah and i think it really depends on the student and who's using it and what kind of visual works for them so i would say yes i have my basic templates but 90 percent of the time i'm modifying it to meet the need of that student and what's going to work for them in their day I love it. I use uh, the zones of regulation with actually uh, a little girl that is going to be coming into my office soon. And she has really taken off. She, I think a lot of times emotions are so abstract, right? It's just this like, it's language that we attach to a variety of different kinds of experiences. Um, you know, so it takes a long time for kids to learn. And that's why I like the zone so much is because they can start identifying, this is how my body feels. This is what zone I'm in. You know, of course, the strategies, which I love. Um, and so she came in the other day and grandma had just left. 
like grandma was visiting, grandma had left. And so she, you know, kept saying blue zone, blue zone, blue zone, blue zone. <laughs> and I said, okay, like, let's get our, and I, of course I have visual supports for her. When I'm in the blue zone, here are the things I can do. And they're very specific strategies to her. Like she likes to draw. And so that's very calming for her. Um, there's this song called Little Snowflake, uh, which I would actually highly recommend. Super simple songs, Little Snowflake. It's okay. like the most calming song I've ever heard. How um, does it go? Um, you want me to sing it, Chris? <laughs> I never heard it. Yeah, let's hear it. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so she has a list of strategies that we go through. And, you know, given the situation, we, she decides what strategy she wants to use. Mm-hmm. And of course, sometimes she's so upset that she like, throws my like sheet across the room when she's in the red zone. Um, you know, the strategies aren't working, but it's just a really great anchoring to always come back to. Here's how my body's feeling. Here's how I can change the way that my body's feeling. And it takes some time for kids to kind of explore what that means for them and us as practitioners to give ideas. Um, cause so it's constantly evolving too, but I just love the, the visual support that I can give her and we always circle back uh, to those strategies because in a time where you have heightened emotions, it's the most important time to have visual supports for, because yeah, I talk about that all the time. Yeah. Language doesn't come easily. Like no, when I'm upset, I don't want to talk. I'm like yeah. I'm crying. I'm like, ah, definitely. I explain to the staff all the time that, you know, they're really not accessing their language. And if there is any type of language disorder involved, they're really going to be struggling to access their language. So visual input, really is everything in those moments. I think you really spoke a lot to the individuality of the zones too. It is this program and it is this curriculum, but it's so in a way customized to each individual student. And wasn't the program created by an occupational therapist? You know. I actually don't know. That's something I'm going to look up. I think Um, it was. I think it was. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the tools that we use and like the strategies really do have a sensory um, component to them. And I work very closely with our OT when we're doing our zones. Um, but I think the language piece and the perspective taking and problem solving, that's where the speech person can come into play. And it's really good to have an OT on that team as well to work on kind of those sensory functioning pieces. And kind of piggybacking off this, because I think this is a really relevant conversation about social emotional regulation and strategies. When we're thinking about our AAC learners who obviously have a hard time with communication, what are some strategies that you utilize for them to help them start communicating, you know, whether that be with the emotion or the zones? Is there anything that you pre-program into a device or a specific way that you target something like that? Yeah, so um, I actually just recently started programming some pages um, that could be added in and kind of brainstorming the language that could be added into a student's device. Um, Right now I'm pushing into a first grade classroom and it's really nice to see the simplicity of teaching it to six-year-olds and kind of thinking about that language that can help to kind of pair the colors and the emotions that you're feeling and just the simplicity of modeling it really at that stage um, when something is new. They really just need a lot of opportunities to see it identified in the real world and a lot of opportunities to practice it and kind of what that means to them. Yeah. And also I, I, I think it's really important that we think about it through so many different lenses, right? We, of course, when a child is upset or, you know, dysregulated, we need to attach language to that so they can understand what that experience is and then hopefully one day communicate about it. But also, you know, it's perfect opportunity when you're reading stories to talk about, you know, so-and-so character, it looks like he's in the blue zone right now. 
Um, so we give lots of different opportunities, you know, across a child's day that aren't necessarily child specific, right? Um, yeah. I think that that's important so kids can start relating to that language with their favorite characters when they're watching a movie, you know, across the board. Absolutely. Pete the Cat and His Magic Sunglasses is a great book for that. He turns, he puts the sunglasses on, he's a different color at each stage, so I use that one quite frequently. And I think, too, the language can be flexible for the zones, so you really need to think about the language that the family might be using, the teachers might be using, and then also those age-equivalent peers, so that when you are programming it into a device, say, and then you're modeling it, you want to make sure it's matching. Um, so I think taking the time to kind of see what language is used, it doesn't have to be from the zones manual. Um, but it can be very specific to that student. I love the, the customizing piece too. It's so important when we're programming to talk with the family. That's the number yeah. one thing. I, I can't tell you how many times I sit in an AAC assessment or a consult and I'm like, you know, talking through vocabulary. They're like, oh, can we add bathroom? I'm like, do you call it bathroom? They're like, well, no, we call it potty. I'm like, all right, well, if you call it potty, that's what it's going to be on the device, right? Like, so talking yeah. through that because there's so many different kinds of things like that you need to think through um, to really customize it to a child's experience. Like, you want to pair it with the words that they're hearing, the language that their family is using. Yes, absolutely. I agree. So, Amanda, you said that you, uh, with the recent promotion, what does your day look like? Do you, but you also said you push into classrooms. So, how does it all work? Um, in terms of just my speech therapy life, I basically spend every day at my multiple handicap program. Um, I see students typically four to five times a week for therapy. Um, and I have definitely shifted my approach to therapy for students with complex communication needs across my years at lab. Um, definitely shying away more from the pull out um, kind of style and more of the push in um, to provide some coaching opportunities to staff who are kind of in the area um, to be able to make the language activities as close to what's going on in the classroom as possible so there's more learning opportunities. Um, so I'm there every day. We have individual therapy. I also go to inclusion classes like um, specials, usually art class. That's where there's the most language going on. Um, I also run a predictable chart writing group, and I also push into their reading group where they're using me the tell me, using the tell me AAC program. Um, and then when I'm at my social emotional program, I'm there about two mornings a week. I'm running what we call a spot group, which is our speech and occupational group. Um, that happens once a week for um, those students. And then usually some type of group um, based uh, speech therapy so they can practice both their social goals and their language goals at the same time. So that's my speech life. <laughs> um, pretty busy. I would say. It <laughs> sounds like it. Yeah, it's just a lot of sessions I'm back tired. to back. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then now with this new role, I'm taking time to make sure I'm going to the other programs, checking in with other SLPs. Um, we have 12 SLPs at lab, um, so making sure that everything's going well for them for scheduling, supporting um, any challenges, and kind of advocating for the needs of the department. I have a question regarding the inclusive classrooms and the sure. general classrooms that you're pushing into, because it feels like one of my biggest challenges when I'm working in the schools is how can we teach in such a limited amount of time, right? How can we teach general ed teachers how to facilitate language, um, you know, on devices and otherwise with children with complex communication needs. Um, so I'm just curious what your experience has been and if you have any tips uh, or strategies that you like to use 
with that specific population? Yeah, I think um, the way that the models kind of run right now is someone from lab. So whether it's an aide, a teacher or a therapist is taking our student to that inclusion opportunity. And so 90% of the time that general ed teacher is very okay with us being the modeler. Um, and so they will be watching us and seeing what we're doing in terms of peer interaction, which I would say is our big focus area right now. But for the most part, the general ed teachers are looking to us as the experts on how to communicate with this child, how to kind of support their um, academic needs, but also then their communication needs. Typically, though, we've worked a lot on wait time. So in order to actually include the student in, say, a morning meeting, that they can participate and they do have something to say, but we this is the type of wait time we're working with and how long you really need to have that quiet time. And also, I noticed that the students are more likely to give the wait time than the teacher or the other aides. So having some gesture to say, you know, wait a minute, she's working on it, or he's almost there, just give him 10 more seconds. That's been a good like collaboration piece um, and definitely kind of a focus area at this time, as well as kind of the peer interaction and making that meaningful as well. I love that. And that's a huge piece is that wait time. And even I know better and I still have to remind myself. Oh yeah, to wait. so hard. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to be quiet, can be really awkward. Um, but I think normally the teachers will then see that the student was able to participate on their own. I think sometimes it would be easier for me to just model an opportunity at that time so the rest of the class can go on. But when they see that great buy-in from the student, how excited they get that they got to participate on their own, usually then the wait time comes naturally there on the other strategy that I like is to kind of prepare in advance if it's possible. You know, I know we're about to have morning meeting. I know we're about to read a story. Would it be possible to ask so-and-so, you know, XYZ question, prep the student in advance? Like, we just read this story. You know, who is your favorite character? Or, you know, where did Pete end up going? And so kind of doing that priming, I think, is helpful for students to kind of alleviate some of the guesswork, right? It's like yeah. you allow a child the opportunity to participate in an activity all while kind of scaffolding that experience mm -hmm. for the teachers. And um, so, you know, again, it's not always possible, but if it is possible, it's a really great strategy that I think is pretty effective. Yeah, and I think it always can be possible. I think using that consult time to kind of connect with the teachers, knowing what the routine is. Um, for our morning meetings, we typically do some kind of like a weekend share on a Monday. So a lot of students are programming in, um, whether it's on touch chat or in their accents, they're able to program in like my weekend news. And so that's really helpful that they can have that already ready to go and they don't have to build the sentence with everybody watching them. Mm -hmm. um, but usually we'll take some time before the morning meeting to either build it or sometimes they'll build at home with their families, which is really great. Um, for my pod users, they're able to kind of have, I'm telling you something, a story ready to go. And I think all of that like kind of prep and preview is really helpful as well. Amanda, you said you did uh, coaching when you push in and you also said that you work with the peers a little bit. Are you coaching peers and do you do anything structured or is it more just kind of on the spot like, all right, everybody is who's, who happens to be sitting next to this student. Let me show you how to do this. How does that look like? I yeah. Like so um, the coaching of peers is actually going to be new this year. We have a PALS program um, at our elementary school and they've always been coming into our classrooms. And one area that we see is this gap in how to communicate with our students. Um, so last year I 
I provided a coaching um, course for the month, the whole school year using the model as a master pal um, series. We adapted it for our students and our families and parents came once a month to kind of hear the different parts. Um, we had some practice sessions after we made through all of the uh, made it through all of the parts of Madel as a master pal, and then now I'm going to be using that to adapt it to kind of the age group for the peers. Um, I think they're very interested so far. They're very interested in knowing how to communicate and why it's important. Um, so I think having that buy-in and again that structure, seeing that it worked well for our staff, it worked well for our parents. So might as well just get the peers involved too. I love that. I love that so much, right? I mean, uh, what a great way to raise a generation with inclusivity in their mind. Do you know what I mean? That, Absolutely. We can see the difference between um, students who have had a peer in their class the entire route of elementary school and someone who might only have that peer in their class in the fifth grade. Um, and it's not necessarily wrong either way. It's just you can see the difference in the meaningful um, interactions kind of shift depending on how much they've been taught. Um, and then being able to be kind of flexible in that moment, knowing that I am that person who helps the child communicate. They use me as a resource, so I might coach them, but they might turn around and ask me a question, like, how can I find this word? Or how do I tell her she did a great job? And all of these pieces. So they know who to go to when they have a question, and they also know that I'm there to kind of guide them as well, which is great. Yeah, yeah. And I totally see the peers, like you said, filling in when we're not there, when the, when the coach yeah. isn't there, when the, if the teacher is there, uh, is, as absent and there's a substitute and all those peers who are now coached to know what to do can, can say, just like you said, no, just give her a second. She's finding it or, you know, yeah. we just waited just a minute, you know, uh, or, Hey, she needs that thing. Don't leave it here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They're so, they really are. And they care so much. And I think it shifted from uh, Oh, this is a cool peer who has this cool device to this is actually my friend and this is how she talks and just seeing that difference is I mean it's incredible oh, that's so heartwarming I love it and I think it's also important to think about that's why it's so important I should say to make sure that AAC users sound like their peers and so you know using slang and using you know funny phrases and things like that so that they're you know like you said it's not just you know, I'm helping this person communicate. It's like, I like to hear what this person has to say. This person's funny mm -hmm. and they can tell jokes and I can laugh. And, and so it's just, it's so important as clinicians because in a lot of ways we, we kind of guide the language, right? We guide the programming, we guide what's being targeted and what's being taught. And so just keeping that in mind, I think is super important. Absolutely. I like to involve my students in their programming as much as possible. Even though they're young, they're still able to be making choices on even simple greetings, like how do you want to say hi today or what kind of hellos and goodbyes should we have in your device? Um, all of those things are just help the device have more meaning to them, um, have the buy-in and also make their interactions really meaningful. Love it. So Amanda, you mentioned some resources there that people may or may not be familiar with. One of them yeah. was Master Pal with uh, from Tabby Jones Willibur. We've had her on the podcast in the past. Yes, um, I listened. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> so good. <laughs> um, and, but you also mentioned the Tell Me AAC curriculum. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So it's a reading and writing curriculum. Um, I think it came out about two or three years ago now. Um, but really, it was made for the preschool classroom to use core words in reading and writing. Um, and it also used kind of, I guess, parts of the four blocks of literacy to guide the curriculum and the lesson plans. 
So really you're given uh, 10 days of lesson plans that follow the same format each and every time you do them, but what you're changing is the book and the core words. Um, so the way we've kind of adapted it is we changed it to a five-day lesson plan for reading, um, and we're doing predictable chart writing for writing. Um, but we have now done it for, this is going to be our third school year, um, so we can see how we're progressing across kind of the reading stages and the types of books that we're using. Um, but really what I've also seen in terms of communication is the use of core words increasing and being really meaningful because each day they're practicing the same four to six core words in this reading context. And then the classroom teacher is also using extension activities to carry over how the core words can be used in other settings that are fun and not just in reading class. So I think they leave their reading block with words that can go with them through the rest of the day, the week, the month, and we're seeing communication kind of thrive. So you're saying it's not working at all? Yeah, no, not in the slightest. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds great. That sounds great that it's working that way. Can, can, can you describe the predictable chart writing and how it works in your neck of the woods? Sure. So we are doing predictable chart writing, which is using a sentence frame. And we're usually picking a sentence frame that has to go with the book that the students are reading. So this week, our students are reading Fletcher and the Falling Leaves. And our sentence frame is, I like, and we have a blank leaves. And they got to choose which color leaves they like to see in the fall. Um, so the first day is they see the sentence frame. We usually do something about background knowledge so they understand what they're writing about. Um, and they fill in the blank of the sentence. The second day, they see their sentence again, they identify who wrote each sentence, and then they choose a musical instrument to be able to count how many words they hear in their sentence. On Wednesdays, the third day, they cut the sentence apart um, physically. We put it on a very long strip, and we have adapted scissors, and they're there cutting their sentence into the different words, and then they're rearranging it and putting it back into the way they see their sentence being. So typically, we're hoping to find the same sentence structure, but we accept whatever sentence structure they're kind of using. On Thursdays, the fourth day, they get to be the sentence. So they find their sentence again, and they line up in order, and each person represents one word. Um, in that scenario, we typically use Big Mac switches or some kind of voice output recorder um, so that they can just say the one word with the symbol on top. And then on the fifth day, they pick a photo that has to do with their sentence, and they do kind of a review sheet that reviewed all those elements. So they reorder their sentence, they remember how many words they had, and they add their picture. And at the end, we have some kind of class book about all of those sentences. That sounds awesome. Then you have a book. Do you and then do you send it home with the parents? Do they see it? What happens? Um, yeah, usually our parents will see it at the end of the month. We use like because they usually follow some type of theme. Um, we also will try to put them into some kind of tech. Um, format. So sometimes they use Tar Heel Reader to kind of input all of these sentences or Pictello, um, depending on the student. So then they have a book of, that they can independently select during independent reading time or on their own, and then they can share it with anyone who wants to listen about our predictable chart writing. <laughs> That's so cool. And let me ask, what's your role? I heard you say that you kind of lead the predictable chart writing. Is that you kind of are the one that when you come into the class, you're the, you're the person yeah, so leading that exercise? For the reading and writing components, the Tell Me program and the 
the, um, the predictive development chart writing, the teacher and I worked really closely to learning the programs and then kind of me supporting her and implementing them. And now that they've been implemented, I still consult on those parts. Um, and for predictable chart writing, I run the group on Mondays where I can put in a lot of background knowledge activities um, and more um, communication elements where, and then she can take over from the Tuesday through Fridays that have more to do with more of the sentence structure and the academic piece. Um, and for reading, I usually push in at least once or twice a week as well um, to work on how students are accessing and finding core words and how they're pairing them together and um, how they're expressing themselves during their reading class. I love all these ways to support literacy. I'm really loving it. Literacy yes. is so important. And I think a lot of times with complex communication needs, people feel kind of daunted. Like, I don't really know how to do literacy things. And I feel like you, you're doing it, Amanda. You're doing it really We're trying. well. Like. <laughs> yeah, I think it became a focus area as we had more students um, who were using communication and were kind of coming to a plateau in a sense. And we saw that there was more to do with it to access their academics and also to be working on their communication system at the same time. Um, and for new years, it was just a way to re-emphasize some of these words that they were doing as well. Um, but re literacy is so powerful and all of our students can do it. So it's really each year finding a new way to just add it into the school day. Um, this year we're working on developing alternative uh, pencils for all of our students so that they can be really using letter um, opportunities to write their name, um, to sign in at the beginning and the end of the day, um, and be able to write their own sentences without necessarily having to use their communication device as their testing tool. Amanda, I am so happy that you won the contest and then we got to <laughs> chat with you. I'm very uh, excited too. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me explain why in a very selfish reason. I mean, besides just everything you just said and how much fun it was. But selfishly, sometimes I feel like, um, you know, I, 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 when I... So Rachel goes out and she finds people to interview and I go out and I find people to interview and we interview people separately, but you found us, right? Um, and sometimes I feel like I get into a bubble, you know, and I'm going to talk to people that I know, like are going to provide good information because I know them, you know, but we didn't, we didn't know each other, Amanda, you, you found yeah. us and you're sharing all this awesome stuff. And I get excited because I'm, it, it, what I get really excited about is that this is somebody out of my sphere. You're somebody out of my sphere who we've never really met before that is talking talking about how all of this really works and how it all integrates and all the progress that's being made and and how excited you can hear it in your voice how excited you are uh about how it's working and so it just fills me with like i'm on the right track too you know? <laughs> yeah that's amazing thank you so much i mean i'm so excited to be on here and just be talking with you guys i listen every week so i feel like this is my nerd time being on this podcast <laughs> but i mean i yeah i just i am very passionate about aac and i am passionate about making sure my students have a voice. So it feels great to be able to share that with everybody. Yeah, and I think that the moral of the story is we all have things to share, right? Like every single clinician that's out there listening to this podcast I, I mean, I wish we could have everybody on, you know, because yeah. it's like every single person brings a gem of wisdom that I'm like, oh, like I could do that in my therapy or like, oh, wow, like she's doing that too. So it's just so cool to listen to your experience. And it sounds like you're having a lot of success across, you know, numerous different scenarios and settings and communication partners. And so it's just really I'm really grateful that you were able to come on today and just share all of your, your knowledge and expertise with us. 
Yes, thank you so much. Awesome. So if you guys haven't already, please join the Facebook group. There's a lot of AAC Facebook groups. One is AAC for the SLP, which I love. Um, we also have one for Talking With Tech. So just search Talking With Tech. You can find us. Lots of really cool conversations are going on in there. And we would love to have you join because our, our community is growing. You clinicians like Amanda and all different types of parents and teachers and administrators are joining the group. And so it's just so cool to hear everyone's perspective and um, come together in, you know, with a united front, we all want to help children and individuals with complex communication needs access communication. So definitely join the Facebook group. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on. We're so happy to have you. Yes. Thank you so much. I really had such a fun time being on. Thank you. Amanda, before you go, do you have any contact information you can share? If people wanted to reach out, ask questions about how you do things, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah. So I have my work email is great. A sheriff, S-C-H-E-R-I-F-F at lab, L-A-B-B-B.net. Um, you can also search on YouTube is where the model as a master pal videos are located um, under that name as well. In case anyone wanted to use that, that's a resource for everybody. Um, but those are the best ways to find me. Perfect. We'll link to that in the show notes for Chris and I and Amanda. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Thanks. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question. What is communication? You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.